Welcome to the Teaching Classroom 21, a podcast by The Ever Learner. I'm James, your host. Join me and my guests every week as we discuss, debate and explore the features of a world-class classroom in the 21st century. Welcome to the Teacher in Classroom 21 podcast. I'm your host, James Sims, and joining me in person in the studio are my co-host, Marta Soteras, and our special guest, Becky Wing. Becky is an Olympic gymnast, having competed for Team GB in Beijing in 2008, a world championship team finalist, having finished in seventh place in Stuttgart in 2007, a graduate of the University of Stanford, having studied product design, and now a project manager at a creative sport agency in central London. But to me, Becky is a young woman whom I had the privilege to have in my classroom for a short time and someone who inspired me and my family. Becky, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Marta, how are you? Hello. Hi, I'm all right. Thank you. Good. So, Becky, first things first, we we kind of want to explore a few things with you uh, within this conversation. But the first one really is all about your reflections of school, of college and later university. Yeah. What mattered to you at that time when you were in that classroom? When you were studying at home, what were the key things for you? What, what in your mind made you a successful student? Um, I think that for me, a lot of what made me successful as, as a student came from my sporting background. Um, obviously, beginning a sport at a high level from such a young age. I mean, I started gymnastics when I was five, but I would say probably from the age of seven or eight, I was already taking it pretty seriously and training multiple times a week. And so I had to learn to be very diligent and balance my time from such a young age. So it just became ingrained in me. Um, And I think that really, really helped across all aspects of my life um, so that I could balance everything and make sure that everything was done on time and I had to really compartmentalize my life. Um, And I think that is probably that and along with like the support of the people around me is what made me so successful in the classroom do you consider yourself motivated or disciplined both but probably more on the discipline side um because i think that you have to have both but no matter how motivated you are if you're not disciplined then you're not going to get anywhere yeah. yeah and i'd like to, i'd like to unpick that point you made there about i think the way the way you worded it was it, i got serious at age eight yeah. I think for a lot of people that would feel like an odd age to get serious how, how did that actually happen um very organically I guess and so I, I started when I was five like I said and I was just an incredibly active child uh, my sister who's one year older than me we both were just running around the house doing cartwheels on the furniture and so my mum just took both of us along to a class to try out once a week we both just absolutely loved it and from the get-go, like the coaches noticed that I had quite a lot of talent and I loved it. So I kept going back every week. And so I stayed at this local club for about a year, I think, um, until the coaches basically said, you have a lot of talent. If you want to actually take it seriously, then you need to move to a better club. And so when I was seven, then I moved on to um, a higher level club where I had coaches that could take me to a higher level. And was that conversation with you or was that with your mum or your dad or all of you? Do you actually remember? Very vaguely. um, I think it was it was more so with my mum and the coaches suggested it. But I I mean, I just absolutely love gymnastics. So I was 
completely happy to do whatever it would take to you know just keep going i see yeah okay so one of the things i'd really like to get I'd, let's talk about the, the gymnastic side of this would it be f would it be fair of me to suggest to you that in your gymnastics in your training in your competing i, I don't actually know if you're still competing at the moment no you're not. Not, for, not for a few years okay so in in that situation would would it be fair to say that in your mentality you were competing with what you believe to be the best in that sport to be were you competing with an idea of an elite performance the perfect performance or were you trying to be better than kind of average um i guess you're always trying to be the best that you could be at that moment in time um but i feel like depending on what the competition was um the way that our training was structured you you wouldn't always want to peak at certain competitions so for instance for in the run-up to the olympics in 2008 our training was structured so that we would peak at the olympics during the summer and so the whole year running up to that you know you would have ups and downs ups and downs but always working towards that one big goal in the summer and so for, you might compete in april and you knew that your performance wasn't going to be the best that you could do but that's okay because that's what was planned for at that moment in time um and you just kind of learn that you know you still gave it your best but the performance and the outcome isn't your peak and so would those be would those be performances in other comp other competitions in training moments in both that you had to accept as uh, what words would you use as not your peak or a substandard for becky yeah yeah i i think and i think that actually more often than not in gymnastics and probably across all sports to be honest you're more often not at your best um it's only on very rare occasions that you perform at the highest level that you want to and you you really hit everything um especially in training more often than not you fail and so that kind of becomes the norm and you just kind of get used to always having to get back up and go again and try again and try again and you fail and you go again and i feel like that's what eventually makes you successful that's that's a fascinating mm -hmm. point yeah. oh, sorry Marty, no, no i was going to say that if, if that's you found this useful in in your life in general how how have you if you compare yourself to people around you have you what differences have you have you found with people maybe who haven't done sport to this high level? Have you found any yeah. you know, differences in terms of, yeah, that personal? I feel like I've met a lot of people who kind of want to be perfect and expect to always do well. And the first time that they fail, they kind of get quite disheartened and are quite discouraged and kind of want to give up. Um, but I feel like once you fail over and over and over again, it, you just become immune to it and you just know that you have to keep going um and eventually you know you fail and it, it doesn't discourage you anymore it it motivates you even more and i think that you know learning that from a young age it just instills it in you there's a super famous study which embarrassingly i don't recall the author's name of at this particular moment but that researcher wrote as their key finding this so they, they studied uh, elite level um ice skaters in their training and performance and they found that uh, ice skating outcome in elite competition was directly correlated to the number of times the individual fell over in practice hmm. so the more an individual fell over in practice the, the the higher the chance that they would have of performing at a higher level to those that fell over less and it sounds paradoxical when you first hear it but it made me think of that with, 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 with do you associate with that idea 
sometimes i mean i would if i was running up to a competition and i was trading really really well i'd be like this is this is great but at the same time i'm like this is also strange because normally like you have a lot of ups and downs all the time so it's, it's some something's weird if, if it's always great all the time <laughs> i see yeah. but presumably if it was always great would, would, would that mean in your mind that the challenge wasn't high enough yeah i think so i think that obviously to be challenged and to continue to push yourself it means that you're gonna you're gonna fail um and yeah maybe if if it's always perfect or always great all the time maybe you're not pushing yourself or challenging yourself enough so i'm assuming you've also had that pressure of peaking within sort of academic experiences as well mm -hmm. exams coursework submitting essays this kind of thing do you apply the same model yeah i think so um I've always held myself to a very high standard at school as well. Um, and so in terms of mentality, I've always, you know, put in full effort and worked as hard as I could. And then no matter what the outcome is, you know, I'm happy because I know that I did everything that I could to get that outcome. Um, and even if it wasn't like an A or it wasn't what I wanted it to be, like that was okay. I'll just continue working and next time, you know, hopefully I'll improve upon that. I actually yeah. have to tell a story about you at, the, at this time, Becky. There's a good chance you're not going to remember this, <laughs> but I can promise you this happened. I remember this in, uh, it would have been in around about September, October 2008. You would have, I wouldn't have known you very much at this point, mm. probably a few weeks. Um, you would have been a few weeks out of the Olympic Games, <laughs> something like that. And when we were in the classroom together once, we were in some I don't know, Thursday morning or Wednesday morning <coughs> lesson, and we had a task to do for the college that I was teacher at and you were a student at. Mm -hmm. And it was that I had to extract from the students their personal target grades. It was the grade that each student wanted, never mind what their minimum score was. Mm -hmm they the students had to say well i would like to achieve this grade and all the students they wrote this little slip of paper and i'm not going to mention names because you may remember the names of some people in that class <laughs> and so do i um but people were writing things like oh i'd, I'd like to get over my c grade projection i'd like to i'd, I'd quite like to get a b and there were this sort of thing mm. and i got one piece of paper back and it, i it really stuck in my mind it just it just read becky wing wants an a <laughs> 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 and I wish I had that bit of paper in some ways because I thought I, I, I found it to be really indicative of somebody who was in control of those things that they saw as controllable. Obviously, we don't know what the exam paper is going to be. We don't know, you know, what the marking quality is going to be. But it, it, it felt to me like this person knows what they want and they're going to make that happen. Mm -hmm. Does that sound familiar? Do you actually remember it? No, I don't remember <laughs> no, that I'm at all. Surprised. But I'm also not surprised. <laughs> but does, does that reflect? I mean, does that reflect you throughout your school? I mean, if if, if you go through your co-secondary days, was was that a series of behaviours that was you were exhibiting all the way through that experience, or or, or did it much like your training sort of peak as you went through? No, I, I mean, like I said, I always had very very high standards for myself um and i you kind of just mentioned this a second ago but i kind of have the mentality of there's no kind of goal that's high enough so if you want to get an a then go for an a and do what you can to get there like why settle for a b when you might be able to get an a Right, it's really i i, I would kind of like to wrap that go on marty i can <laughs> no, see no, you're no, twitching no, there no, no, i'm begged sort of the, the the perfect student the perfect person to have isn't it the the uh, someone who will say well you know i want this i'm just gonna go for it which is what i suppose everyone should 
everyone should aim for the best possible they they could where, where does it leave the idea of talent becky whether it's gymnastic or, or intellectual where did, where does that approach leave the idea or in your mind where is the idea of talent when you walked into a classroom or when you knew you had an exam or a piece of work coming to what degree was it influencing you i am x intelligence level well i feel like talent's an interesting thing in itself because like a throughout my years I've I've come across a lot of people who are very very talented but very lazy and then on the opposite end people who maybe aren't quite as talented but work incredibly hard and usually achieve better results than those who are more lazy um and I think that overall um discipline and how hard you work is a lot more important than talent um and I think that everyone's um goals and what you're capable of is very different um but i think that how hard you work is the most is the most important thing so i would agree with that entirely Mm -hmm. i think it also matters very significantly what happened to you when you were seven that somebody somebody said basically said becky's good we need to get her to the right people Mm-hmm. So w- in that mix as well is the importance having the right guidance, the right teacher, the right coach. How do you see that? Really important. And also for me, I was so fortunate that my parents have been incredibly supportive like from the very beginning. And so throughout my years of training, I missed a lot of school. And so, you know, I, I didn't have teachers always guiding me. I had to do a lot of it on my own. And so my parents played a huge part in that in supporting me while I was at home. Um, they're both very intelligent people too. And so, you know, they would help me with my homework. They would help me balance school with gymnastics. And they were also, you know, very good about making sure that I had a separate life, separate to both of those things as well, um, which I think helped keep me very grounded. But absolutely, you know, you can be talented. You still have to have the right people in your life and the right support system to help you along the way as well. And I'm really fascinated by this notion of, uh, well, in the classroom at least, what are certainly in the classrooms that I think are predominant in um, in sort of like the the British system. Ultimately, what teachers have to do is they have to take their students, they have to work with them against some notion of average performance. But if I tried to apply that to what you would have experienced at, say, Heathrow Gymnastics Club, for example, if they'd have been working with you as a gymnast... Mm -hmm and they'd been comparing your performance to some notion of average performance. I'm assuming that wouldn't have worked out very well for you. I mean, what do you mean by that? So the education system is all performances are distributed across a bell distribution. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So any deviation from the standardized norm is considered to be unusual, either successful very successful yeah. hyper successful or very unsuccessful less successful so everything is ultimately standardized by the average the norm the, the the center point but i look at something like elite sport and the only conclusion i can come to personally is that what you continually assess yourself against is the highest level p- of performance that you're actually comparing your current performance or where you're moving towards to that far end of the bell distribution mm-hmm. curve only and I, w- and I wonder what impact that has on the coach, the teacher, 
what impact that has on in this case the gymnast the student i mean maybe it's a nuanced question i'm not being fair asking i'm not sure <laughs> becky is, is that you're ultimately comparing yourself to the highest level performance possible all the time i think in elite sport yes to an extent um but i think you also have to be reasonable and realistic um so for me i knew that i was never going to medal at the olympics i knew i probably wasn't ever going to final at the olympics that was okay that wasn't my goal going in the goal was to hit clean routines i was the starter which meant i went up first for my team and i had to be consistent so that was my role to be consistent um it wasn't my goal to f to make a final um and while yes you are still comparing yourself to those gold medalists i think that you can't then expect to have the same results as them um so it's just about kind of having a realistic goal yeah 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 that sort of a, a, that, that achievable goal a, a challenging but achievable goal mm -hmm. becky you, you've studied in the uk uh in your school and college days you took a decision, I think, after... Did you have one year in between, I think? Yes, uh, and one you, gap year, and then I went year, out. That's right. And you and you went to study in in, in Stanford in Californ mm -hmm. California in project design. Yeah. Talk to us about the differences in your experience. I mean, obviously, you you were different. You were older and um, and go, going through a slightly later stage in life. But what, what were the main differences between that kind of British educational experience and the American one? Um, a lot of differences, actually. Um. I actually really, really liked the American system. And so the main difference is that when you're applying to university in the UK, you have to choose the subject that you want to study before you go. And so, you know, while you're in sixth form college, you say, I want to study maths. Then you write your personal statement and you apply to your universities to study maths. And when you get there, you only study maths. Whereas in the US, you apply to the colleges that you want to go to but you don't have to choose what you want to study. You you just take a range of courses in high school and then you go straight to university and in your first year, you, you study everything again. You study maths, English, humanities, languages, and then you begin to decide what you want to major in. And then you can basically declare your major at any point. Some people Some people know right away from the beginning what they want to do and that's fine. But I didn't, and I didn't actually choose my degree until the end of my second year. So for those first two years, I kind of did a little bit of everything. I kind of knew the direction that I wanted to go in. I knew it was science-y, math-y, engineering direction, but there was a lot of different courses um, and routes that I could have taken. And I really, really liked that. I think that, you know, when you're only 16, 17, 18, you might think you know what you want to do but i know so many people here that go to university and a year in they think ah, actually this isn't what i want to do and then by then it's really difficult to change so i think it's nice to be able to go and take those higher level courses where it's more applicable to the real world and really get a sense if that's the kind of thing that you want to do and then make the decision mm -hmm. um so that was my favorite part that's different to here and do, do do you have the impression that students in in america they they generally like this way of of doing because they, they would be i've always felt that maybe over here the, this sort of 
um, early specialization because actually it starts at the age of 16 when you finish your GCSEs really um, that it was probably due to the fact that you know you've got lots of students saying oh well, what's the point in studying mm -hmm. this if I'm not gonna go on doing it and um, did, did you have the feeling that in general American students appreciated having this variety or they would prefer to be more you know I think I think there's pros and cons to both um, I think in general they also prefer the system um but what i did notice was that because in the uk we specialize a lot earlier and we do the two years at sixth form college where you only do three or four subjects that by the time you go to university you're at a high level in those subjects and so because i had an a level in math and an as level in further maths when i got to stanford and i took some maths courses i found that i was actually a bit further ahead than the american students and so i think that if you if you know what you want to do off the bat then it's great um and studying in the uk i think you get like a more in-depth um education in that one subject but like i said you don't always know that that's hmm. what you want to do yeah or maybe you get an earlier in-depth mm -hmm. in yeah that, because i suppose that in-depth study arrives in even, even if you if you do it later on but exactly mm, so, so of course look, looking at your sort of spanish system there Marta, it's different for you again so you would have had mm. a you'd have had breadth in your study until the age of 18 so you have done the baccalaureate uh, structure right yes that's right you, you you had slight specialization so that you, there were you either took a more scientific route or a more humanistic route there, there was slight but within that everyone did language well in my case everyone did both catalan and spanish the, the sort of official languages everyone did philosophy and everyone did um i can't remember what else but there, there were a few a few history possibly there were a few subjects that were compulsory and then you could um and then you chose you know whether you were doing maths or not or latin or not mm -hmm. and things like that but and then you would have special effectively begun outright specialization mm -hmm. At, at university, yeah, and then yeah, before be, yeah, and then you the you choose you you go to university, or of course you go already to study a certain thing. Yes, yeah. it's it's the specialization is there. Yeah. It's really I've I've heard this notion of the major many times, into probably through film more than yeah. anything. <laughs> truth, um, it's the same for you, Martin. Yeah, I understand that. What yeah. it is? <laughs> <laughs> I know I thought that when I said it. <laughs> yeah, but um, I do find it really intriguing. So you would have been twenty one, twenty twenty one when you narrow down your focus of your study down mm -hmm. to your vocational focus yeah wow pretty much mm. yeah i was 20 just about to turn 21 mm. it's really interesting yeah, I, but, I think but also you have the choice don't you because yeah. as you said you, you, you can choose you can earlier, earlier than mm. that so it's yeah mm. i guess i'd already started to converge but i hadn't actually said this is exactly what i want to do so, mm -hmm. it, so in that case the system to at least in that example is fitting around the individual rather than the individual having to fit the system mm -hmm. which for whatever strengths and weaknesses we've got in the british system and there are many strengths ultimately the individual does have to fit the system rather than the other way around yeah we, we um uh, elder daughter who you have met before um she much earlier stage of course she she's just made her GCSE options she in fact she made them in the first half term of year eight wow and that to us was quite a shock yeah I have to say even though we work in education and we think about these things we were taken aback at that and of course she's not narrowing down completely mm -hmm. she's still retaining breadth in her study but she's losing well she will no longer be studying drama 
no longer be studying music. Technology. Technology. Wow. And this is not because IQ. she doesn't want to. Right. It's because there is a lim- there is limited space. Mm. Yeah. Uh, in the day, she enjoys languages, things like this. So mm. something had to go out at yeah. the age of she literally just turned 12 really hmm. and also and, and actually what she's gonna she's gonna end up doing an extra subject at home with mm. me so that she can choose right a, 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 another subject because she th- there were too many things she wanted to do so mm. yeah it's, it's interesting bit. because so yeah i i think i chose my gcses in year nine um and i dropped most of the humanities um i just didn't really enjoy them that much but then when I went to Stanford in my first year, I had to take humanity classes. I think I had to take, I took a philosophy class, I took a writing class, um, and a few other different humanities. And I remember thinking, my goodness, I haven't studied these in so many years. But all my classmates, you know, had studied them the year before because it was a requirement up until the end of high school. And when I, so I was quite nervous to take it because I, was, I definitely wasn't, wasn't on the same level as everyone else. But when I took the class, I really enjoyed it much more than I had in year nine. And I just had a completely different perspective on it. And it just made me realize that, you know, your perspective on things in year nine versus when you're in university are so different. And again, mm-hmm. it kind of just reinforced for me that you it's difficult to make those decisions when you're so young. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think it's really interesting. I mean, even if we st- step back completely and just identify in a world where at least today, information is very abundant and available to people. Education is ultimately only really available in your childhood. Right. That's quite an odd concept, actually, when you step back and have a, have a, a completely free look at things. Um, I want to ask you about lifestyle in California, Becky. I'm a little <laughs> bit fascinated. Um, so there's got to have been changes in your lifestyle. You went from, okay, we're not, we don't live in the coldest part of the UK <laughs> here, but we, we live in uh, southern England in, northern, mm-hmm. in North Hampshire. Um, how did lifestyle change when you got to the US? I mean, was it, was it daunting for you? Did you um, feel at home straight away? Was there homesickness? How was that? Not so much homesickness, but mostly just because I traveled so much for gymnastics all, th- all throughout my whole childhood. So I was used to that part. Um, it it was quite a bit of a culture shock, but I guess um, moving countries alone is a culture shock, but it was more just going into university life and student life in itself. That was just a whole new experience for me um but I loved every single second of it I mean obviously like you just mentioned the weather (laughs) was amazing um it was nice that we did actually have a winter season as well so it wasn't sunny all year round um it did get chilly in the winter you had to wear a sweater but (laughs) in the summer and the spring it was beautiful um yeah, much better than southern England, I have to really? say. Really? That's... No, yeah. no. <laughs> Less grey, I would imagine, <laughs> So was there a strong temptation? Was it, was it a purely practical decision in terms of returning to the UK for work or was it a family decision for you? Was it, was it an opportunity decision? Where, how, how did that come about? So I actually thought that I wanted to stay in the US. Um, so when I was studying out there, I loved it. You know, I had all my friends around me, um the college lifestyle is very appealing it's but it's not reflective of the real world um so then I I stayed out there for a fifth year after I graduated and worked out there and I enjoyed it to an extent um I liked where I worked 
I didn't, I wasn't particularly passionate about what I was doing, but a lot of my friends had left. They'd gone to other cities to work. And so suddenly I wasn't in this college environment anymore. I was an adult in the real world. I had to make money. I had to live. I didn't have the support system around me that I did when I was at college. And I didn't have my family around me either. And so I kind of started thinking about whether I really wanted to stay or whether I didn't. And I also didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, really. You know, I had a job that I, I quite liked, but I wasn't sure if it's what I wanted to do. So I thought, okay, I'll go back to London because my visa was expiring anyway. So I, I essentially would have been deported unless I got sponsored by a company. Um, but quite a long process and I didn't want to go through that long process and then find out it's not what I want to do. So I thought I'll come back to London, I'll figure out what I want to do and then maybe I'll I'll go back. But I came I came back to London and I just absolutely loved it. And to be honest, now I can't really see myself going back to the States. I think if an opportunity arose, I wouldn't say no, but I'm not going to actively seek to leave any time in the near future, I think. Were there any cultural shocks coming back? Any anything that you weren't anticipating, but actually you 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 know you didn't you weren't that British anymore, or not? You you just fit fully back in. And <laughs> I definitely picked up a bit of an American accent. So when I came home, everyone here says I sounded very American, but when I was in America, everyone still said I sounded very British. So I was stuck somewhere in the middle. Um, but in terms of culture, when I came back, I kind of slipped into the lifestyle here very easily. And I forgot how nice it is to have close friends and family so nearby. And I'm living with my sister now, which is so nice. And just to be around her again um, was one of my favorite things about coming home, I think, that and seeing my parents again. Yeah. Well, you've kind of stolen my thunder on what was going to be one of my favorite questions. I really, I'm, I'm <laughs> going gonna, gonna to ask it anyway. So I actually want to take you to the, the to the flight that you returned home on. So at mm. that point where you would have considered it to be your homecoming, it be a permanent, at least at that point, and move back. Do, do, do you remember that flight? Do you remember coming back? Yeah, I do. And, um, how, and how was that? As you, as you sort of came over the greenness of England, it may have been great on that day, who knows, but um, <laughs> as you came over that sort of the greenness of England and, and, and gradually returned and, and presumably flew into London, what, what were your feelings at that point? It was very bittersweet because leaving the States was difficult because I had made a lot of very close friends out there. Um, so saying goodbye to those friends and not knowing when I was next going to see them, that was really difficult. But at the same time, I was very excited to start another new chapter of my life and come back, you know, to the place where I'd grown up and see my family and friends back here again. So it, it was quite a conflicting feeling, um, very bittersweet, but I would say more positive than negative. No, it's really it's really interesting um Marta, mm. you, you you must have had equivalent experiences i think i mean you're someone who's who's left home has has flown away from home many times uh, has returned home mm. but i guess you've never done the return journey exactly i've never consciously moved i mean even the first time wh when i came to to england in 2002 i i didn't know that I would still be here 16 years later <laughs> so I was just coming for nine months so it was like yeah yeah whatever you know I'm just <laughs> going for a bit and you know so so maybe if I ever go back 
to Barcelona, then I will I will have probably the experiences. And I think it it would take me a while to adapt again, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it would, would be interesting though. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about matter, Becky. What what is matter? I mean, it's your work, but mm-hmm. what what is it? So it's a creative sports agency, and we create creative advertising campaigns for different sports teams and brands. So we work with a lot of national governing bodies. We work with England football, England cricket, England rugby, um, and also recently some of the more up and coming sports such as British athletics, England hockey, um, and then also some of the brands. So we do a lot of work with Ombro at the moment um, and creating campaigns for different football teams, kit launches. So it's a really, really fun place to work. Um, Always creating new and innovative campaigns um it's a super creative space to work in um but everyone is very passionate about what we do um and everyone is behind it so always willing to go above and beyond it's yeah i i really really enjoy working there and what's what's there in your workstation you i'm assuming you have a computer do you have a media tablet are you, are you video editing are you are you storyboarding what, what what sits in front of you on a day-to-day basis i have a macbook mm-hmm. um and a notepad and pen um so everyone in our team has a different style of working so a lot of people have iMacs but like uh, my role particularly i'm moving around a lot in the office so i need something portable so i have my macbook which i carry around with me everywhere um are, we're, we're expanding a lot at the moment so when i was hired a year and a half ago there was only i think 12 people and now we're at 17 wow, so yeah great. we're expanding all the time um and so even since i've joined we've moved offices twice wow. um because we keep just spilling out of the office that we're in which i guess is a good problem to have that is a good problem but it also means that a lot of people don't have a, a space to work at which is kind of fun um so it's kind of like just find anywhere and work there (laughs) so you have to be quite flexible it makes me feel less guilty for inviting you in here (laughs) but it's it's pretty cozy in here uh to be honest with you i I was just going to ask i mean i suppose that then the field you work in is is would you consider it to be a pretty competitive field yeah i i would and it's also quite niche so a lot of other agencies don't necessarily specialize in sport they'll do advertising for a lot of different brands um some of which are sports brands whereas we just focus on sports mm-hmm. um so i think it really sets us apart from other agencies um as we are experts in that field i had a little look actually the other day i really like that I, i'm going to mention i don't know if you worked on this one so i may have found <laughs> you here i really like the cricket one with the numerous hands catching the catching the ball it was a really nice one england women's cricket Yes, yes. That's a really cool one. Yes. I looked at Go a few. boldly. That was that's really a nice great, one, yeah. great campaign for us. That, that's a really good one. I looked at I really like the graphics. I can't remember on the exact campaign, but it was in the England men's football team and I think it had the Brazilian team in as well. Yes, uh, really the illustration-based campaign. That was really smart. Mm-hmm. I really liked it. I had Thank a look you. at a few, actually. I like the website as well, I have to say. Is it is it matter.com or is it makeitmatter.com? Make it make it yeah. Yeah, it's, worth, it's well worth people having a look because mm-hmm. there's some really inspirational things in there. I really enjoyed having a look. Um, Becky, I want to I want to take you forward from today f- five years, and could you share with us something which in five years you are absolutely determined that your uh, about your life that's going to be the same, and could you tell us something that in five years you're determined this thing about your life is going to be different? Very interesting questions. I think um, one thing that I'm determined to be the same is that. 
I want to have a job that I'm passionate about and that I love. I'm very fortunate right now to to be in a company and be in a role that I, I absolutely love and I look forward to going to work every day. I enjoy doing the work. I enjoy the people that I work with. And speaking to a lot of my friends, it's, that's actually sadly quite a rare thing. Um, and so I'm, I'm fortunate to have had that experience, but it also means now that, you know, anything past this, I'm hoping I can, you know, keep it on the same level and enjoy it as much as I, I do right now. So that's something that I'm definitely determined to, to keep the same. Um, something that, something that I want to be different. Um, I mean, I always like to try new things outside of work. And so one thing that I found quite difficult coming from being an elite athlete was finding something else in my life that could replicate that that feeling, that experience that I, I had in my life. Um, and it's something that I'm actually still trying to figure out because, you know, when you're training every day for something and you're, and you're so passionate about it and you have all these ups and downs and it's really emotional investment, I feel like if you want to give that up, like your life can feel quite bland. And, you know, you, you, you don't have that goal anymore and you don't have something that you're consistently striving for. Um, and I don't necessarily think I need to find something where I, I need to be elite at again, but I, I do want to try and find something where I'm really emotionally invested in it. So um, what I really want to do is try and find something that, you know, can fulfill that part of my life. So actually yesterday I tried my very first contemporary dance class, wow. but if it's not, then I hope I can find something that will fill that place in my life. It's really, it's really interesting, isn't it? Mm. It's, it's really interesting. I mean, it's, I don't think it quite compares to exactly what you're talking about, but I, I often have that, that similar feeling. We, we've had a number of times recently through our work where we've had gigantic projects that we've been doing. One of nation now is, it's been cl close to two years work and I've been just dreaming of it ending. <laughs> just it, it, it seems so distant, and, like, and, and it, then it was late, and it felt like it was never ever going to end. But now that it's kind of finished, I feel really lost. Mm -hmm. I actually don't know what to do. I feel quite empty, and yeah. I'm almost searching for that equivalent. Even though it, once I was back in it, I would I have did. times <laughs> where I was really struggling. But it, I, I, I really, I really empathise with that because, as I say, it's, pro it's not quite at the same level, but. I do, I do feel similarly, that, and it comes back to all those notions of being busy as well, doesn't mm -hmm. it? Bu busy with intent, with a goal. I think is is if you've got an objective to the time that you're investing in something, mm. I think once that's gone, you can feel a real sense of a real sense of emptiness or, or sort of a hollowness. That's really interesting. Um, another question for you, Becky. Mm -hmm. And I think we, by the way, in no way would I presume to even need to do this. Cause I'm sure I don't need to do this, but um, there's a rule about this question. Nobody in the room can be included in your answer. Okay. okay so that is a rule. Could you describe to us in your um, experience of um, education, um, whose classrooms would you have had a tendency to run to? And whose classroom would you have had a tendency to try to run away from? Who were, who were those teachers and why did you love and without putting words into your mouth loathe them <laughs> um i think that th the teachers that you know i enjoyed learning from the most were the ones that were the most passionate about what they did they weren't just 
teaching for the sake of teaching and just kind of putting knowledge on you like they truly believed in what they were teaching and they loved it and it's it's contagious um and so those were definitely the types of teachers that I loved to to be around um that I had some lecturers who were <laughs> I hate to say it but like very very boring and I just it's just they're not passionate about what they're talking about and it's it's really difficult to to be interested and invested yourself when you don't feel like they're invested themselves someone said to me on a podcast recently let me see if i can get chris's words exactly right he said to me nobody cares about what you know until they know that you care and i think that's a nice a nice way of putting that i would like to ask you about the um j just just the structure of those lectures i'm picturing you in some kind of um staggered kind of lecture theater is that how it was when you were at stanford um sometimes so stanford actually had a very small student body so each year there was only about 1500 students which is very small compared to other universities and it, it completely depended on, on the class that you were taking so some classes you would have um between one and three lectures a week where you, you would be in a lecture hall all the students would be sitting and then there would be one professor at the front who would be talking or maybe he would have slides and you, and you would take notes um sometimes those lectures were also videoed so you you could watch them at home if you wanted to but for every single class we also had you called it a section which would be a small group of students maybe between 10 and 20 um sometimes even smaller than that and then there would be one um learning assistant who would be in the classroom with you and they would go through in more detail the content of the lectures um and so to me i mean those were a lot more beneficial than the lectures um because you kind of got that almost one-on-one -on -one, um, interaction with the teacher it's like for me lectures weren't as beneficial i i just personally don't really like learning from just listening to people i have to either read or just like have someone one-on-one -on -one taking me through it um and then because i was a product design major a lot of my classes were very practical so for all my design classes it was a lot of very much hands-on experience um which was nice because it definitely like shook things up a little bit and it meant that all my learning experiences weren't the same which is really nice it's really interesting what you say about one-to-one -one mm. as well because at, at, at kind of the heart of what we do we're trying to emulate the experience of one-to-one -one mm -hmm. without costing the earth which of <laughs> course is is it, it's not a reality so would the would the the learning assistants in the sections would they be phd students or or who would they be um you, not necessarily they might just be um high level students so third year fourth year students who had taken the class in previous years and done very well i think you had to have got at least a b or an a or something to tutor the class what what are the actual outcomes of uh, uh, undergraduate degrees in u.s systems what what scores do you come out because it, it's not the same as our first r21 r22 no uh, so in fact the whole examination process is completely different so the school year is split up into either quarters or semesters so there would be obviously four quarters in a year or three semesters um, and at stanford we had four quarters one of which was the summer and that was optional and during each quarter which was 10 weeks you would have midterms so that would be kind of an examination halfway through the quarter and that would be i don't know maybe 
25-30% of your grades um, and then you would have a final which would probably be maybe 40% of your grade and then you might also have some like problem sets throughout the quarter which also counted towards your grade um, and then so at the end of every 10 week quarter you would get a grade A, B, C, D um, and that um, translated into a grade point average so you've probably heard this from the movies yeah, yeah. Uh, 4.0 or 3.5 so a 4.0 would be an a um an a minus would be a 3.7 and then it goes down and every single quarter is is weighted equally so you, you don't have any more important examinations in your fourth year or your third year it's every single quarter is just as important as the next so you, you can at no point can you ever slack off because everything is just as important so in that respect i really liked that um, you're constantly being tested. Like every two or three weeks, you have another test. Um, so it just keeps you on your toes. And, and, and then I suppose you don't have massive exams, either, like exactly. nerve-wracking. Right. So if you if you if you completely fail one exam, you know it's it's not the end of the world because it's only a small percentage of your final degree. Mm-hmm. So in that respect, also it's quite nice. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Any final questions, Marta? Um. Yeah, well, um, I've got a question, but I don't know. I just wanted to to ask you, like, reflecting back on on basically what, going back to where we started about you know talking about your uh, we we're talking about your childhood and how it was and all you know all the training. Um, would you? I mean, I suppose I could ask if you had children, but for for a child nowadays, would you advise a child to go through what you went through? like all you know a high level training working really hard at school um or or would you at some point would you think i wish i had you know maybe i had done a bit more of this or a bit more of that i i would absolutely encourage my children to take up a high level sport because i think that so many of the opportunities that i've had in life have been because of sport and i also feel like a lot of people particularly in the uk think that you you can't have both a very high level education and a high level sporting experience um but you but you can it's definitely not easy um but it's possible and i think that's something that they um understand more in in the us and it's encouraged more in the us um especially through sporting scholarships and things like that um and it's something that i really wish that they had in the uk and that was part of my decision for going out there in the first place was because here in the UK, if I wanted to go to university, I couldn't do gymnastics at the same time. It, it just wasn't possible for me to do both at the same time, whereas I could have in the US. And I think that that in itself is really sad that you you just don't have the opportunity here to be able to do both. You have to pick one. And so I, I really hope that in the future, that's something that can change. Um, yeah. I think, and I think there's definitely things that can be done about it, but I don't know. If, like you said, for me, for having kids, I think that gymnastics taught me so many important lessons um, and was just such a huge influencer for the successes that I've had. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I want to say a couple of massive thank yous. Uh, firstly, Becky, that you would even consider doing this with us. It, it's truly appreciated. It's just nice to catch up as well. It's lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say a big thanks especially for coming in person um, a lot of the people we're speaking to uh, a gentleman on a gentleman called Matt who's an author on Friday and we're doing it by internet. nothing wrong mm-hmm. that's great but yeah. you know the fact that you've come out today and done this and given time I just 
truly appreciate it. And I have to say as well, I have to say a big thank you to uh, <laughs> Julie and Tim, who are just a couple of um, wall, <laughs> wall separations away from us sitting in our reception, our office block. And um, <laughs> I, 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 I'm not totally sure exactly how they're motivated this evening. I think they're getting half an hour with their <laughs> daughter, I think, a little bit and taking, yeah. you, taking you from and to. The yeah, reverting back to our childhood days yeah, of them I, driving me around. I do, I do get that feeling a little bit somehow. It's, yeah. it's kind of nice, but um, just just a massive thank you to them. And I am genuinely interested to chat to your mum. If it's not too weird for you, no, of uh, course. I would genuinely like to chat to Julie and Tim at some point because I think they could have a really intriguing um, view of this kind of conversation. Because I think I, I don't think there's any doubt whatsoever that people uh, and educators who are going to listen to this. They're going to take a lot of inspiration from the things that you've said, and I'm sure, I'm sure many people think, "Oh, I wish I had Becky in my class," and this sort of <laughs> thing. But I think it, it's also really interesting to uncover and unpick where that mentality and approach comes from. And I, I think chatting to chatting to Julie and Tim and having a cup of tea together and having and happening to record it <laughs> could actually be really Definitely. could actually be really interesting. So if, as long as you're not too worried no, about it, no. But um, yeah, a, a, a huge thank you, uh, Marta. Thanks as well for doing this in the evening. It's really appreciated. Um, and we'll end the show here. Thanks thank you again. so much for having me. It's, on, uh, it's <laughs> such a pleasure, honestly. It, it's it's wonderful. Thanks for being here. Thank, thank you. you.